0: now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture now is the time to dare great things and here is your host as we dare great things father nathan cromley the president and founder of the saint john institute
1: the second book of pope saint gregory the great's rule for shepherds comes to a close by tackling one of the thorniest problems in the heart of a leader whom do we serve? On the one hand, if we serve only God, we run the risk of losing the people that we are called to lead. However, if we serve the people that we are called to lead, we can sometimes run amok of our relationship with God. The proper balance can truly be found only in what I call the love of a servant. So we're bringing to a close the Rule of Shepherds Book 2. And remember, there's four books to this wonderful writing by Pope St. Gregory the Great. And the second book is a kind of, as at its end, it kind of talks about a lot of balancing that needs to be done. He'll say on the one hand that we need to be very firm in our corrections, and on the other hand that we need to be very gentle with our corrections. And how do you balance those two? Or he'll say that on the one hand, we have to be connected to the people that we serve. And at the same time, even more connected to the God for whom we serve them. And he describes a very similar kind of balance with respect to the virtues in chapter nine. If you look at what he writes, he says, the ruler ought to understand how commonly vices pass themselves off for virtues. I mean, and you're like, well goodness, could it be any harder? Everywhere I look, it looks like my path is an admixture of two contrary elements that I'm supposed to reconcile and synthesize somehow or other. And I'd like to smile and say, exactly. That's what makes Christian leadership so difficult. It's that it requires intelligence from the leader. And not only intelligence, but it requires a prudent ownership of your own actions that our, our society today finds uncommon. But it's the hallmark of the Christian leader. It's what makes us properly Christian. That Christ summons us into a full manhood, a full personhood, someone who possesses themselves and rules from their character and identity. And there's no way to shape a character or an identity without being responsible for it, without owning it, without saying who we are and taking a stance. And our our world today finds this uncommon. I think a lot of us would rather hide underneath the, the position and the titles that we have. Everyone recognizes that I'm really good at doing this even though I'm a really bad person, and therefore I'm a fine leader. And then what we end up doing is we end up saying, and I'm a fine person. In other words, since I do my work really well, I'm a good person. Since I have a certain degree of wealth, I'm a good person. And Gregory the Great is just there to say, well, no, actually, that's not quite the case. You might be a very good person and not have the esteem of other people. And you might have a position of incredible power and influence in our world and yet not be a good person. And what Christ calls us to do is join those two. You can't on the one hand say, well, I'm not going to exert my influence because I want to preserve myself from the contagion of secular world. I mean, if you do, I mean, just go ahead and be a monk. I mean, that's fine. But if you're called by Christ to be in the world, you can't be a monk at the same time. You need to make that engagement. However, just be careful because at the same time, you can say that everyone in the world thinks that I'm great and I have achieved a certain amount of success in the world. Therefore, I'm fine. And it's in the balance between the two. Leadership is a balancing act. And that balance is what we call the virtue of prudence. Okay, so when you wanna go deeper on this subject, start to look at prudential judgment and in, in leadership. Prudential judgment usually is secularized into things like strategy. We say, well, I'm a great strategist. Well, it's true, if you're prudent, you will tend to be a great strategist. Strategy has a lot to do with prudence because you're looking at the means to take towards the end but personal prudence goes far beyond strategy because in personal prudence, you're not just finding the balancing point to be successful in an operation or be successful in attaining an objective in the world of business. In a prudential judgment, you're actually finding that balancing point between the inward character and inward convictions that you have and the outward necessity of working with people who don't share those same convictions? How do I, in other words, navigate the waters of the people that I lead? This is a huge question that we constantly have. How, in other words, do I keep my silence of my heart and the love that I have for God intact and aflame when I'm supposed to be speaking all day long? It was really kind of funny. I was having a conversation with a cloistered nun Recently, a cloister nun. So that means that she lives behind walls and in, in a building, you know, with her sisters for her whole life, praying, living in silence, nothing but pure Christian religion in, in her day. That's what she's doing. It's the equivalent of a monk, right? And I was speaking with her, and she was currently serving as the mother superior of, of her monastery. And she said, Oh, I'm so relieved that next year I'm done being Mother Superior. I get to go back and be another member of the community. And I said, Why are you looking forward to that? And she said, Oh, because at last I'll be able to put my prayer life back in order. <laughs> Now you hear a cloistered nun saying that they have to put their prayer life back in order. You just kind of shake your head because you're like, sister, if that's the case for you, then the rest of us are doomed, right? There's simply no way that this could be the case. And yet there she was because she had to speak all day long. She had to deal with things all day long. And so it was disturbing how she could find that balance point. Because what if you can't stop leading Well, then are you just supposed to say, well, my heart never rests? No, you look and you find a way to make that balance point even while you're speaking, even while you're in the engagement. That takes prudence. And prudence will make or break the quality of your leadership. You can judge how effective a person is in their leadership by the depth of their prudence. The greatness of a Christian leader flows from the degree to which prudence has been integrated into their person. And the hallmark of prudence is that wonderful characteristic of inner strength, of conviction. Prudence births character. And the more that my character is is strong and defined, the more my actions will have impact in the lives that are around me. But that strength can't be feigned it has to grow naturally and organically from within me. Otherwise, eventually it'll break. And this is what Pope St. Gregory the Great really points to. And what I want to really point out to all of you, it's exactly what our Lord does. When he's forming his apostles to be leaders, he stops at Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, and he turns to his disciples and he says, and who do you say that I am? I mean, talk about awkward. This is one of those moments where you say, Jesus, this is not necessary. I mean, we're just learning. We don't know anything. You know, this is really putting me on the spot. And Christ doesn't hesitate to put them on the spot because one day kings will put them on the spot. One day the Romans will put them on the spot. They'll be persecuted and kicked out, thrown out from synagogues, cast out from towns. They'd better be ready to be put on the spot. And so before they're put on the spot by anybody else, our Lord looks them in the eyes and puts each one of us on the spot because we need to own our life. Our culture today will allow so many of us just to dally our way through life, pretending to be people of impact, pretending to be leaders, but deep inside there's this separation between who I am and what I do. And to the degree that I'm separated from whom I am and what I do, I'm ineffectual in my leadership. I need to be a man or a woman of integrity, put together, assembled in in, in who I am. And that's what prudence does. This is why Gregory the Great doesn't hesitate to have all these balancing acts between this and that. It's about finding the way to be hard with the difficult and gentle with those who need mercy. It's about finding the way between busyness and prayer all of that challenge is actually what makes you great.
0: Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org and join for free today.
1: So I want to go briefly backwards a little bit in chapter 8 of the second book of Rule of Shepherds, where Pope Gregory the Great talks to us about something that I think is very important. It's this balancing act that only prudence, right, can, and and our own ownership of our actions and our personal engagement and our leadership can produce. And it's this balancing act between the love that we have to have for the people whom we serve and the love that we have to have for the God for whom we serve them. And that balancing act might seem natural and easy, but actually it's not. If you think you're doing a good job with that balancing act, odds are that you're not. (laughs) You just probably haven't thought of it before. Okay, because I'll give you an example. I remember speaking one time to a father who was a very devout Catholic going to mass every day. And he said, you know, the thing that gets me the hardest in the gospel, it's when Jesus says that anyone who loves wife or children more than me cannot have any part with me. He said, I find that so hard because I'm not quite sure that I, that I do. And that was very honest. You know, he was saying, I mean, when you really ask me if I love my children more than my God, uh, I'd be tempted to say that I do. And I don't really understand how to find that balance, how to get out from that. It was a great question because I thought that's honest. I mean, when it really comes down to it, a lot of us are really afraid of our own deaths. We're afraid of our life coming to end. Maybe it's not death itself that frightens us, but getting old sure does. Right? We don't, I don't want to lose my ability to do this. I don't want to lose my friendships over here. I don't want to be able, you know, I'm going to be stuck at home alone watching reruns of Jeopardy. <laughs> As if this is the worst thing that could befall somebody. But we we lament all of that. Why? Because, well, we're, we're pretty attached to this world in the end. And if you really say, well, I mean, you're going to be with Jesus, some people really struggle with that, saying, I actually don't want to go. Right? And and. Those are all honest assessments of hearts that have loved the leadership that they've given more than the leader who has asked them to serve his people. And, and, and it's a natural thing. He says, right here, quote, in chapter 8, it is also necessary for the ruler to keep wary watch lest the lust of pleasing men assail him, lest when he studiously penetrates the things that are within and providently supplies the things that are without, he seek to be beloved of those who are under him more than truth. Right? To be beloved by those who are under us more than truth. It, it's a, it's such a temptation because It's a natural thing. Your hearts are engaged all day long with interaction with fine people, wonderful relationships. And and relationships have a way of making us rich inside. I mean, who doesn't want another friend? Who doesn't want to be included in the wonderful party? All the things that are given to us from the outside, these things are just great because they make us our, our life rich and deep and full of wonderful smiles. I mean, we work so hard in the businesses that we found to find that serendipity and that just sweet moments where everything is just going great and progress is being made and profit is being, you know, accumulated and we can be benevolent and kind and wonderful to those who work for us with loyalty and respect. I mean, right. It's almost like this ideal that we all have in our heads and we work hard for it. The last thing we want to do is not enjoy it when it comes, right? And so it's wonderful. I agree. That's why he says, you just have to be careful. He uses the example of the bishop or the priest right here, because that's the ones that he's writing to. And he says, just really wonderful. He says, he is the Redeemer's enemy who through the good works, which he does, covets being loved by the church instead of Jesus. Since a servant whom the bridegroom has sent with gifts to his bride is guilty of treacherous thought if he desires to please the eyes of the bride. So obviously he's using a metaphor here that's a lot too strong when it comes to our businesses or to our engagements with the world, but we see the point that he's making. And his point is that, yes, we have to serve the world and love those who are in it. And enjoy the richness of the life that's been given to us. But we must never forget the one who sent us. In other words, there's a greater love. There's someone out there who is even greater than the world. And relationship with him is worth more and is richer than the relationship with everyone in the world. And our hearts will easily forget that because of our penchant towards a self-exaltation in the end. I mean, who really wants to be a servant when you could be a king? Every Christian king, nevertheless, is a servant of the king of kings and the lord of lords, the ruler of all who is God. And that means that we who are in positions of influence, influence this world by being a slave and a servant of the most high God. And, and our hearts have to be more conjoined to him and more faithful to him than we are conjoined or even faithful to the relationships and to the service that we render him here below. I render the service of an impactful and influential Christian leader because I belong to Christ. He is the bridegroom. The church, the world is his bride. He has claimed souls for himself and he's chosen to put us in the middle. Now, obviously, as a priest, it's one thing. I mean, you know, that, that speaks very well why a priest is celibate. A priest is celibate because our hearts are wed to Jesus Christ. Our hearts are wed to God. And it's therefore in, out of that great love that we have for our God and that God has for us, that fatherhood, the spiritual fatherhood of our care for souls flows. And he's saying, you have to be careful because if you're not, you're going to love that service more than you love the one whom you serve, who is the Lord. To find a servant's love, it requires chastity from the priest in terms of celibacy, but it also requires a certain kind of chastity from every single one of you. Because we cannot allow our hearts, in other words, to love and serve this world as if it were our be all and end all. We love and serve this world for God and for Jesus, for the one who sent us here. And it's just so tempting, especially when your business becomes successful and when your endeavors you know, reach their happy conclusion and where things are coming together and you amass more and more influence and more and more wealth and more and more greatness in the eyes of this world, It's very hard. Our hearts will succumb to loving that more than we love the truth. And the truth is we're passing through this world in the service of a God who has made us for a relationship with him infinitely greater than anything we can have or achieve on this earth. And that is what drives us. That's what motivates us. And that's the guiding
0: star for our lives. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today.
1: Pope St. Gregory the Great finishes book two of his Rule for Shepherds in chapter 10, By speaking about yet another balancing act, right? And this is one I think many of us will be able to understand viscerally, right? Because it's one of the hardest things that we have to do. And that is how do you correct someone who is underneath you? If you correct them, do you correct them harshly in, in the hope of them changing? Or do you actually bear with their faults even though it can cause you great duress or cause others in your organization great duress. What do you do? How do you balance? When you're looking at a person, how do you know if they did it on purpose? And how do you know if correcting them in one way or the other is going to be more successful? Obviously, the art of making corrections for those who are underneath you or those who are employed by you, it's just something that, boy, we wish we had more skill at but I'm going to laugh a little bit because it's almost impossible to find a book or a movie that can teach you how to do this right. You know what I mean? Like who in the world could take a class on proper ways of correcting things like this? (laughs) This is just something that's an art. It needs to flow from who you are, right? Because in the end, the people that you correct, they will receive the correction from you and their relationship with you And your relationship with them forms the context that will allow them to understand what you mean and to receive it well. And so if you don't have that context, you don't have that relationship or that ability to form it, then you're always going to struggle when it comes to saying not to do something this way or to get people to change their behavior. And the stronger you are in your relationships, the easier that that's going to be. I love to think of it this way. Love is the bridge truth walks across. So when we have to make a correction of truth and get people to do something or other, remember to build the bridge. Love is the bridge truth walks across. The relationship that you have with them is the key to the context for getting them to really repent when it's something bad and really be corrected because they know that you trust them. Uh, Don Bosco, for example, who worked with wayward boys in the streets of Italy, He used to say, one word of affirmation is stronger than a hundred words of correction. And that's what he meant. He's like, the stronger I can have in terms of a relationship of, of trust between me and those people who are underneath me, well, the more powerful my words will be. And sometimes when things come up, I just need to be fierce. I have to be strong as a lion. You know, he says, otherwise I'll be guilty of letting people live in ways or act in ways that are simply not true. And, and we have to correct that. I'm thinking of sexual harassment in the workplace, for example, and tolerating that somehow or other. It's, it's no one, you're doing no one a service by tolerating that kind of, of of attitude. Or theft in the workplace. You're doing no one a service by tolerating that theft in the workplace. Or bullying that can go on between your employees. Or being there and watching a service being done improperly to a customer and turning a blind eye. I mean, there's a million ways and a million things we could list off where we would rather be gentle and merciful and we're actually doing a disservice. And there, Pope St. Gregory the Great says, no, you need to, in the name of the Lord whom you serve, enforce the truth and love truth more than curry the favors. He says, you've got to simply be strong. And yet at the same time, as we all know, if you can, if you're too harsh or you approach things too, you know, violently, you can actually estrange the very same people that you're trying to help. He puts it beautifully. He says, some things, even though openly known, ought to be seasonably tolerated. So even though you know something is wrong, some things you have to just tolerate. He says, that is when circumstances afford no suitable opportunity for openly correcting them. So you can't just correct things every single time at those moments. There's gotta be a suitable opportunity. And that's where prudence comes in. Intelligence comes in. I might know something is wrong, but I might choose not to do anything about it right then and there. Pick my battles, pick my timing for my battles, Otherwise, I'm going to lose the war. Teachers are really, are really keen at this because teachers have to know that one I'm going to let go, this one I'm going to enforce. How you manage discipline in a classroom, it's a marvelous exercise of prudential leadership. Right? He says, he's a beautiful quote, he keeps on going, he says, for sores by being unseasonably cut are the worse inflamed. And if medicines suit not the time, it is undoubtedly evident that they lose their medicinal function. But while a fitting time for the correction of subordinates is being sought, the patience of the prelate is exercised under the very weight of their offences. Right. So here he's speaking of something we all know well, and that is, it's really hard to do that. It's almost easier to just go around firing people <laughs> or correcting people all the time or telling people they're doing a lousy job than it is to lead appropriately. Because to lead appropriately, you have to bear a lot of that tension in order to help the people truly. And, and bearing that tension while they're making some, doing something wrong is certainly very trying. And that's why in chapter 11, He finishes by speaking to us about the importance of scripture. He says it so beautifully. He says, The heart runs greatly to waste in the midst of human talk. And since it is undoubtedly evident that when driven by the tumults of external occupations, it loses its balance and falls, one ought incessantly to take care that through keen pursuit of instruction, it may rise again. Don't give up hope, my friends. You are doing a difficult thing. God in his word gives us a teaching that keeps us on balance. Our hearts stay inflamed with love for him the more we read about him and the life of heaven. And that love for heaven and that love for Jesus is what we need in order to execute the difficult choices and to find that difficult balance that we need to be prudential leaders in the workplace and in our world. Holy scripture holds the key. Don't be afraid to pick it up and read it and go deeply into it so that we can find the servant's love for Jesus that allows us to love his servants rightly.
0: Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at org. That's info at org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.